Let us listen for and hear God's holy word. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, to the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, the one, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what, what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May your good news come over, not only in the words spoken, but in and through the power of your Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Amen. It's hard to deny that we find ourselves emerged in a throwaway culture and living in a single-use society. That's how an article I read last week began. And it's hard to refute. With terms like planned and perceived obsolescence becoming commonplace in our daily lives, with K-cups and juice pouches and Starbucks coffee cups and Dasani water bottles, convenience over sustainability tends to be the rule. That topic made me think about a newspaper article I read a few years ago that stuck with me. It appeared in USA Today and was obviously written by a reporter who had way too much time on their hands. The article reported the results of a survey of 204 plumbers. The question was, what is the strangest item found in a drain line? The number one answer from 42% of those who responded was animals. That category dwarfed the 16% second place finish of spare body parts, which shocked me. Until I read further that this poorly labeled category included such things as toupees and dentures and glass eyes which is still really weird. <laughs> Specifically, the animal life forms in the drain included fish, frogs, ducks, squirrels, beavers, bats, cats, pigs, possums, skunks, black snakes, garter snakes, pythons, a 16-inch catfish, the head of a largemouth bass, piranhas, rats, owls, and a Cornish game hen. <laughs> now, you may be consoling yourself saying, of course, these had to be dead animals, but that's not the case. Many were alive, including a litter of coyote pups. These plumbers also found an assortment of other things in our drains, tear gas projectiles, a mounted set of bullhorns, shrimp nets, and as one of them put it, enough underwear to fill a Victoria's Secret catalog. Waste not, want not. 
That's what ben Frank, Benjamin Franklin told us, and many of us couldn't agree more. Some of us are either children of the Depression or children of children of the Depression, or else we have just enough Scottish blood in us to squeeze the life out of every penny we've earned. So in this story, from the last week of Jesus' life, it strikes us as exceedingly odd that Jesus not only allows, but even applauds what we see as simply more insistence of wastefulness, of recklessness, of careless extravagance. Jesus is in Bethany at the home of his friends Mary and Martha, where he's the guest of honor at a dinner party. Martha, as you might expect, is serving the meal and coordinating the kitchen, while Mary has slipped off somewhere unannounced. Their brother Lazarus is the one whom Jesus has just raised from the tomb after being dead for four days. Lazarus is seated at the table with Jesus along with a number of others, presumably the disciples and probably several local dignitaries. Just as the food is served and they're about to begin eating, Mary reappears from the back of the house. She's carrying a slender clay jar in her hands. Going to where Jesus is seated at the table, she opens the flask by breaking the neck of the bottle and pours its content, contents, very expensive perfume, all over his feet. Then she takes her hair down, something absolutely unheard of and totally inappropriate for a respectable woman in that day, and she proceeds to wipe his feet with it. It's a bizarre thing that Mary does, and it's startling, and it's probably a bit embarrassing, a little too intimate, no doubt, at least a few of those at the table squirmed and looked away, not sure what to make of all of this. The whole scene really doesn't make sense. Jesus is Mary's longtime friend, which makes this scene even more peculiar. He knows she loves him. He loves and cares for her, too. So why this public display of devotion? It's extravagant. It's extravagant and it's excessive, and it looks like Mary has gone overboard, which Judas is quick to point out. Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? That's what he wants to know. A laborer and his family could live literally, as Alex told us, for an entire year on what this one bottle of perfume costs, and now Mary has gone and blown it all on Jesus' feet, for God's sake. But Jesus says, leave her alone. Leave her alone. She bought it so she could keep it for the day of my burial. You'll always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. Whatever our opinion of Judas, we have to concede his point here. The bottle of perfume could have been sold and the money given to the poor. The extravagant use of this perfume seemed to contradict all that Jesus had taught them about simplicity and selflessness. Jesus is the one who's championed the rights of the poor. Jesus is the one who's called them blessed and said that they would inherit the kingdom of heaven. Yet here Jesus is, pulling rank 
and putting his own needs ahead of theirs. But whatever anyone else thinks, Jesus knows exactly what Mary is doing. She's anointing him. Anointing him in preparation for his burial. It's an ancient practice of embalming. She is God's messenger announcing what's about to happen. When Mary stood before Jesus with that bottle of nard, for a moment, for just one moment, it could have gone either way. She could have anointed his head, letting the perfume run down over his hair, down his beard, onto his shoulders, and letting everyone else know there what they recognized, they would have recognized the symbolism. In that day, that's how rulers were anointed at coronation ceremonies. If Mary had anointed his head, everyone would have proclaimed Jesus as king. But she didn't do that. When Mary moved towards Jesus, she dropped to her knees and poured the perfume on his feet, which only could have meant one thing. The only man who got his feet anointed was a dead man. And Jesus knew it. And they all knew it. Leave her alone, Jesus says. Leave her alone. You'll have the poor to look after until the end of time. Just this once, let her take care of me because my time is running out. It's reckless. It's the recklessness of it all, too, that makes this story so strange to us. Unlike Mary, we're all usually very restrained and reserved about our expressions of faith and our devotion in particular. Most of us are reluctant to throw ourselves into our religion. And if we ever do, we do so in a very rational way, hedging our bets and calculating the consequences. What's at risk? How much do I stand to lose? What sort of precedent does this set? We research and examine and analyze ad nauseum. I'm fairly certain it, that if this incident were to have taken place in the Presbyterian Church, we would have appointed a committee to determine the proper amount of nard to be used. And we probably would have called it something uninspiring like the Nard Commission. <laughs> Bottom line. It seems out of character to us that Jesus would allow expensive perfume to be wasted like this. But the truth is that it shouldn't. It shouldn't surprise us because we read, through the, we read throughout the Gospels. This is exactly the picture of God that we see in Jesus Christ. The God we see in Jesus Christ is a reckless and passionate and divine and prodigal giver of grace. The God we see in Jesus Christ is a shepherd who leaves the 99 to find the one who's lost. The God we see in Jesus Christ is a woman who tears her house apart looking for one lost coin and then when she finds it, invites the neighborhood to celebrate. The God we see in Jesus Christ is a father who throws a party to welcome home a son who was lost, but now is found. The God we see in Jesus Christ continues to surprise us. If the gospel is anything, 
it's outrageous. And our response to that outrageous love, that grace, ought to be just as excessive and extravagant and reckless. A few short days after this dinner at Bethany, this scene will repeat itself. Only the next time, it'll be Jesus on his knees in the upper room of a house in Jerusalem when he takes a towel and a basin and washes the disciples' feet before they share one last meal together. But for now, it's time for Jesus to receive. Time for him to hear God's message through this unlikely prophet kneeling before him. So Mary proceeds to rub his feet with perfumed ointment so precious that its sale might have fed a poor family for a year. It's lavish. It's extravagant. It's almost, it's the most wasteful act. But there's nothing prudent or economical about it. But then why should there be? There'll be nothing prudent or economical about the death of this man, just as there has been nothing prudent or economical about his life. In Jesus Christ, God's excessive, extravagant love for this world takes on human flesh. This bottle will not be held back or kept and admired. This precious substance will not be saved. It will be opened and offered and used at tremendous price. It'll be raised up and poured out for all humankind, emptied to the last drop. Jesus and his followers do not yet fully know what lies ahead. The storm clouds are still forming in the distance, but Mary has given them and us the forecast. But with it, she's also given us a promise. There will be enough to go around because there's nothing frugal about the love of Christ and nor should there be about the lives of those who serve him. Mary pours out her precious perfume. Jesus pours out his precious blood. Faithful disciples pour out their lives for the love of Christ and for the sake of the world. Mary got the message and she acted on it. While some of those standing by thought she was crazy or emotional or, God forbid, wasteful, Mary knew the truth. Where God is concerned, there is no need to fear ever running out. Where God is concerned, there's always more. More perfume, more life, more hope. More than we can ever ask or imagine. Amen. Amen.